I, I got good news for you. We are, for the next couple of months, going to go through the book, wait for it, of Galatians. Yay! Okay, now, um, I'll explain why that's good news. I can't think of a better book to go into in the very beginning of the year. You hit the reset button. You ready to think about the big picture? Galatians is the book to go. Now, let me give you a little bit of history about the impact of this book. But before I do that, I would just describe it as one of my favorite teachers describes the book of Galatians. He called it a stick of dynamite. Now, you read it and you tell me if you think that's true. But it has proved to be true in history. So let me give you an example. In the 17... 30s, I think when Mark was born, uh, there was a little group of believers uh, that changed the face of the Western world. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the Great Awakening. And uh, hundreds of thousands of people and their lives were impacted by this movement across Europe, the British Isles, America. Now, you probably know one of the, not founders, but one of the fathers of this movement. If I show you the picture, maybe you can tell me his name. Does anyone know his name? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't know by the picture either. Um, His name is John Wesley. that ring a bell? Very important figure in in history. I want to tell you kind of what happened, but not about him, because his life gets a lot of play, you know, He has this testimony where he heard something being read and it warmed his heart. Maybe you know that story. That's a famous story, by the way. But I want to tell you the story of one of his peers. You see, this movement, I guess you could say, was started in a small group, which um, historically great movements tend to start small. And it started small with a man by the name of William Holland. Now, William Holland got a hold of Martin Luther's commentary on, can you guess which book? The Galatians. And he found this book, and it seemed like a really good read. So he went to his, I guess, his buddy, um, and his buddy was Charles Wesley. And you probably know Charles Wesley, too, because he wrote a lot of amazing hymns. He's like, this seems like a good book. What do you say we uh, read it to each other? Charles Wesley thought it was a good idea. And so I guess Charles Wesley went first. And where do you go first? You go with the preface. And he started to read the preface. And this is William Holland's blog of that event. He wrote, reflecting back, he said, At a certain point, there came such a power over me. As I cannot well describe, my great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw our Savior. My companions saw that I was so affected that they fell on their knees and they prayed. And I afterwards went into the streets. I could scarcely feel the ground that I trod upon. Now that is what you call a very powerful encounter. But as you might imagine... He was so moved by this experience of God reading the preface of Galatians, he did what you would expect any rational man to do. He would go around and meet people and go, you know, can I come over to your house tonight and read you from this book? And that's what he did. 
he would kind of go around to the different members of his church and different people he would know. Hey, sit down. I got to read you the preface to this book, just the preface. And he would read the book, read the book, read the book, read the book. And in one of these gatherings, when he was reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary in the Galatians, who should happen to be there? This is what scholars speculate, at least. But John Wesley. And John Wesley said that his heart was strangely warmed. And I guess you can say the rest is history. But if you look at that movement and you look at one of the leaders, one of the founders of this movement, and you look at the message behind it in Galatians, you find a stick of dynamite. What we're talking about today, what we're talking about for the next two months, what we hopefully should be talking about every Sunday is a stick of dynamite. Now, having said that, uh, this book has done tremendous things in the past by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it has great potential to do tremendous things right here and right now in this community. So how about reading it for the next couple of months? How about tracking along with us? I don't know if you're into a devotional right now, but this could be a possible plan. How about on Mondays you read chapter 1 of Galatians? On Tuesday you read chapter 2. Guess how many chapters are in Galatians? Six, right? So that brings you all the way to Saturday. On Sunday you come to church and you hear a message on Galatians and all these things are in alignment. Now here's the reason why. If you read the book of Galatians, not just one time, but multiple times, every time you read it again, you're going to get something new. You're going to go deeper. It's going to be more meaningful to you. Can I say I promise you? It's been in my experience. When you meditate on something, the tenth thought is far richer than the first. So you have a chance to read it multiple times, Monday all the way through Saturday. How about it? It's an invitation. Okay, that's up to you. Now, oh, uh, okay. Now, I want to tell you um, partly why this book is so special. Now, if you look at the very heart of this book, at the very, very heart of this book, what you're going to find is something called the stick of dynamite. It's called the gospel. Now, I know you've heard that before. Most of you have. But the gospel is the very, very core message of the faith. Now, if you understand the context around this letter, you will understand why Paul is really bringing out the gospel like none other book, I guess you could say. Partly is because he's defending it. And when you want to defend something, you clarify it and you make very, very clear what it is and what it's not. And that's what this book does. And so that's where we're going And it should be uh, powerful for us. Now, at the very heart of this book, we were saying, is something called the gospel. And and with this message, this introductory message, we want to ask the question, well, what is the gospel? What what is the gospel? What's the gospel? You know, 13 years ago, I was a youth pastor. Is that right? Was that 10 years ago? Um, some time ago, I was a youth pastor, and I was uh, sitting in the cafe over there, and I had a bunch of youth around me, we were going through a book of the Bible. So we're talking out loud um, in the cafe, and then there was a man who overheard me. And then after the Bible study, the man comes up to me and says, hey, I've noticed that you guys were having a conversation with a bunch of youth. Uh, you seem to be some sort of spiritual teacher. I said, I'm a youth pastor, and we're studying the Bible. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. And get this, get this. This doesn't happen to me very often. He goes, wow, that's cool. What's your core message? Yeah, that happened to me. 
And at that moment, you know, it's like, oh, wow, this is like the pregnant moment of my life. You know, I was thinking about the moment like, wow, I went to seminary for four years preparing for this moment. You know, all the books I've read, all the sermons that I've listened to, you know, five years of professional ministry prepared me for this moment. I'm ready. Right. What's your core message? Yeah, I blew it. I, I didn't do very well in the response. It wasn't a great response. It was really short, but, but I'm going to salvage a little bit of my honor. Um, I did mention Jesus, and I do think that the response was Christian. It wasn't the gospel, but I think it was mostly Christian. But let me ask you, what about you? What about you? What if that happened to you and someone said, hey, what's the core message? Do you know what you would say? Do you, do you know what you would say? You know, there's a lot of confusion around this. And maybe my story just illustrates, wow, you can be in church for a really long time and still be kind of confused as to what the core message is. And that's a problem. But let me just point out this confusion. I was reading this book written by Greg Gilbert, and he was talking about this confusion that people have when it comes to the gospel. Like they're kind of like Christians, like really well-known Christians kind of don't know what the core message is. And I mean, they just kind of illustrate this. Okay, so he did some research, Greg Gilbert, on what people consider the gospel to be. And here are three responses. This is a first response from a well-known artist who said this. He said, my instinct is to say that it's Jesus coming, living, dying, being resurrected, and his inaugurating the already and the not yet all things being restored to himself. But the good news, the gospel, the speaking of the good news, I would say, is the news of his kingdom coming, the inaugurating of his kingdom coming. Can I get an amen? No, I mean, do, 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 do you think that was a good articulation? Give it a B, give it a C. You know, I got you thinking now, right? Okay, oh, how about this one? Slide number two. Another person said this. The good news... God wants to show his incredible favor. He wants to fill your life with uh, new wine. But are you, are you willing to get rid of your old wineskins? Will you start thinking bigger? Will you enlarge in your vision and get rid of those old negative mindsets that hold you back? How was that one? B, C, I see someone shaking their head <laughs> and quietly. You're like, am I supposed to be evaluating during a Sunday service? This one time, yes. How about this one? Here's number three. Here's number three. The good news is that God's face will always be turned towards you, regardless of what you've done, where have you been, how many mistakes you've made. He loves you and is turned in your direction, looking for you. How's that one? A little bit better. Now, let's see how you do, okay? And we're going to have the person next to you kind of rate you. I'm just kidding. But I do want to do this. Can you turn someone next to you? And I don't want you to give a full articulation because I'm a little bit worried that whatever you say will stick because you said it, right? What I want you to do is kind of think about, okay, if there's going to be an outline or some sort of movement or some sort of big idea, what would that outline movement or big idea be? Okay, just turn to someone next to you. I'll give you 20 seconds. The other person share. Go ahead. Go for it. I want you to go ahead and give a rating to the person next to you how they did. I'm just kidding. Do you not have to do that? You don't have to do that. We're all learning together, okay? We're all learning together. Okay. Um, 
Now, let me talk about, first let me talk about why this question is so important. What's at stake? Isn't it okay for it to little be a little bit of hodgepodge? It's like, you got this part, I got that part. Why does it have to be the same? Why is that? Okay. Well, let me, let me tell you, give me some reasons why, okay? If you're confused about the core messages, could it be possible that you go your whole life representing this core message and be off? Would you see a problem with that? <laughs> is there a problem with that, right? Like, each of you are ambassadors. Each of you are an ambassador of the message. Is it possible for you for your whole life to be like, oh, I, <laughs> I, I didn't know what the message was. I'm sorry. Now, how bad is that? How important is it to get the message right? And let me give you another one. Uh, well, actually, let me give you a story first. One time I was emailing a friend. And uh, he, he says to me, hey, I'm going to spend some time with my family. And I, I wrote back, um, you know, I think it was with my iPhone, enjoy your fam time. But the autocorrect uh, changed fam into damn. So it came back, enjoy your damn time. <laughs> now, it's hard to communicate even when you know what the message is, right? Well, how much harder is it when you're, even, you're kind of confused? What is the message? What is the, I forgot, what is the message? All right, get this. If you don't know what the core message is or you're confused about it, and this message is supposed to sustain you. And by the way, this message is supposed to sustain you. It's supposed to give life to every area of your life. Are you, are you married? This is the message that's going to sustain you. Are, are you single? This is the message. Are you, do you, are you working? Are you a student? This is the message that's supposed to sustain you. Are you hurting? This is. Well, gosh, if I don't even know what the core message is, then what's going to happen to us? I think that's a fair, very fair question. You're probably going to be missing out on a lot of power in life. There's probably a lot of benefits that God wants you to have because you're sustained by this message and you don't even know what the message is. There's a problem. Here's another one that's very, very relevant to Galatians. If you don't know what the core message is and you're confused, then couldn't there be like a false teacher in your life Maybe it's coming through TV. Maybe it's coming here in this pulpit. Maybe it's coming through a friend. And you would not even be able to know that this teacher is a false teacher. They're twisting things. And you even know, you have no idea. Because you have no plumb line. You have no measuring stick. You even know what the truth is. Then you would be just as vulnerable as uh, I guess this church was too. And that's a problem. So... I don't know if there's a more important question for us to ask, which is, what is the gospel? What is it? What is that core message? Okay. Now, uh, the core message, I, I said this before, it's in every book of the Bible. But it's, it's more directly in some books than it is in other. It's very directly in Galatians. And may I say it's very directly here in the first five verses. Now, we haven't read it yet. Uh, Sam is going to come up here and read it. read it. Sam, if you can, like, come walking up here. But let me just uh, share a little bit of the context of these five verses, okay? Um, the context is that Paul is saying hello. These five verses are just, it's a greeting and a salutation, right? Now, here's the thing. There is so much going on in Paul when he's writing this letter, that he can't help but bleed the gospel into the hello. It's like it's in there, it's in there, it's pulsating in his heart. He's writing hello, and he just can't wait to get it out, and it, it spills right on the page. Now, a lot of commentaries, they go straight to verse 6. Like, let's get to the good stuff. No, 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 no. In all five verses, especially in verse 3, 
Paul is getting to the good stuff. And all the themes that are introduced in the first five verses are all throughout the book. So here is the heart of the gospel message. And uh, what, uh, what Sam is about to read is called the, uh, the gospel. So these are the first five verses of the book of Galatians. And here's Sam. Galatians 1, 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God to our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. All right, um, did you hear it? Did you hear it? Let me, let me try to break it down for you just to, just to make it um, reproducible, if you will, if, just to kind of help you understand where it was. And so the gospel is, um, it actually follows a story format. I don't know if you, you realize that, but the, the basic outline of a story, any good story, like if you're watching a movie or hearing a story, any good one, it's going to start with a problem. There's just some tension. There's a problem. And then a hero comes with the solution. Any engaging story has that basic format. The gospel is no different. Now, it, it actually engages you because that is true reality. That is true reality. Now, the gospel starts with four movements. First movement is with, and it should be, it all starts with God. The text says, God, and then what are the next two words? Our Father. Now, uh, let, me, let me give a little bit of equality to some of the verses that came before this. I think that in verse 1 and 2, Paul is basically saying and is building some um, expectation for verse 3. The basic 1 and 2 is saying, look, I'm an apostle, but no one sent me. No committee thought it was a good idea for me to be here. I was sent by God. And implicitly he's saying, look, my message does not come from any person. I didn't make it up comes from God. Okay, there's some authority. There's expectation. Okay, what is that message? What, why did God send you? What do you, what do you have to tell? Okay, it's right here in verse 3. Number one is God, God, our Father. Now, the story starts with God, who is a perfect Father, perfectly loving, perfectly holy, perfect, perfect in every way. And uh, a father's heart, when he creates people, they're his children. And so he created people to have a relationship with himself and to know him as God and as king and to have the life that was in himself. That's God the Father. All right, the second movement introduces the problem. The second movement deals with people. <laughs> people are always the problem, right? But it's not the people. The people are not the problem. The people... The problem is the condition of the people. Now, there's two words that describe fully, as succinctly as Paul can, about the problem of the human condition. And those two words are what? Our sin. What are the two words that describe the the issue? Our sin. We've all committed crimes against God and against each other. But ultimately, we've all committed crimes against God. You know, just the, the, the selfishness. Not giving God the honor and the glory that he deserves. 
uh, rejecting him in fundamental ways when he created us to have fellowship with him. Now, listen, let me stop right there. Now, now let me ask you, and whenever you said, when you turned to the person next to you and I asked you, what was the gospel? Did this part come out? Now, I'm betting that for a lot of people, this part didn't come out. And I'm betting that it didn't come out because that is on a gut level. You're going to that's that's just that's offensive. And so it's like, it's offensive. So I don't know. I don't, I don't like to offend people. I'm not in the business. I don't, like, I don't enjoy offending people. So I kind of leave that out. And I like to say something like the, the wineskins. Not that the wineskins was bad, but, but that's just that's less offensive. Now, let me say this. It might be offensive, but it's true. Oh, let, me, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. The gospel is very, very good news when you're honest about the very, very bad news. Or you can say the goodness is made more clear because you're honest about the badness. Are we, are we honest about the badness? Do we want a pulpit that just tells us what we'd like to hear? That's just easy on the ears? Well, the gospel does. It does insist that we be honest. Okay, so we got a problem. We got this amazing, holy, perfect God who, who loves people, but we've rebelled and there's a big sin problem. There's a problem. So what's the solution? Where's the hero? Jesus comes. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is our message. Jesus is the hero. Now, um, what does Jesus do? He dies on a cross. And the text says, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who did what? Who gave himself for our sin. He gave himself for our sin. To, now, if you look in the ESV, it's deliver. And uh, the NIV has, I, I think, a better word, but it's really more subjective. The NIV has rescue. What do you, you guys like that word? Now, let me, when you think of that word res, rescue, what, come, what comes to your mind? Now, I like that word, but maybe for kind of weird reasons. And I like that word because when, when I hear the word rescue, I, um, I'm going old school. I'm thinking there's a princess and a tower and there's an ogre and there's a dragon and there's night comes and, you know, he kills the dragon and then he rescues the prince. Now, here's, here's the thing. I say that maybe you're thinking of movies. You're like, okay, I can relate to that, at least that movie plot. But somewhere inside you're like, that's kind of offensive. And I'll explain why. But I think we can all relate to that. It's offensive because the princess should be a modern woman and she shouldn't be, you know, playing with Barbies and stuff. And that's how we raise our kids. You know, she should be independent. And she should do some fighting herself. And that's why nowadays in the movies, the, 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 they fight, right? They fight. Everyone's fighting, right? And so you're kind of... Ex- but, but, but that's not... Rescue is actually the best word because it's getting at the truth. We are helpless. We can't kill that dragon of sin by ourselves. We need a knight in shining armor. We need a savior. We need a hero. And that is the very truth about the human condition. And so Jesus comes and Jesus is our hero now, let me say the last word. Okay, so we got God, who is our father. We got the human condition, which is our sin. We got the solution, who is Jesus, who gave himself for our sin. Lastly, we have a response. Now, it's indirectly here in the text, but it's very direct in the rest of the book, but we must respond in faith. And if we truly do so, then we are rescued from what? And if you look in the rest of the verse, rescued from 
this present evil age. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you really truly respond in faith, then you are rescued from the, the age. Well, the age is dark, but you're going to be light because of the effect that Jesus has on your life. And the world will grow in evil, but you will grow in goodness because of the effect of Jesus in your life. You will be rescued from this present age. According to the will of God the Father, in all of his goodness, and to him be the glory and glory forever and ever. Okay, so now we have the gospel, all right? And there's four movements, and I don't know, this is super, super important. Um, So we got God, two words to describe God, our Father. We have people, two words to describe our problem is we have sin. The solution, Jesus gave himself for us to rescue us. And then our response, we must respond in faith. Okay, here we're going with Galatians. And that was part one of the message. Now, now things here turn a little bit. And I think rightly so, because we're, we're talking about Galatians. I got to set up the context. So here's part two. Now, it starts with a little bit of history Paul, this was the message of Paul. He came to this community. He preached this message. And there was a people there, and they responded with all of their hearts. And it just rocked their world in a really, really good way. It was a stick of dynamite. They received it in faith. Their lives were transformed. They were an amazing church when Paul left them. Paul was a church planter. So after a while, he left. That's what church planters do. Now, when he left, there were some new teachers that sort of snuck in. Those new teachers, they kind of, uh, well, they had, uh, okay, but they were good teachers. They were, uh, they, they, were, they had Jesus in the message. They were, they were talking about Jesus. They were talking in Jesus' name. But, you know, they, they kind of added a few more things. They added a few more things to their teaching and uh, I give you some am- examples of a few more things. One was like circumcision, and another one was you got to keep these religious holidays and seasons and years. And probably another one was like mosaic food laws. But so it, it was Jesus, but you know, plus you know, just a little extra something. It was grace, but plus a little extra to do something else. It, it was just a little something else. Now in verse six. This is where things started kind of getting a little bit, not nasty, but really like confrontational. But Paul basically says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the grace of God and you have turned to a different gospel. I mean, Paul, he's like, I'm astonished. Paul, Paul is Paul's freaking out. Paul, I mean, I can't imagine Paul freaking out, but if this is ever a verse that shows him freaking out, it would be Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. And if you read between the lines, he's, uh, he's freaking out. And look, he's, you imagine Paul saying, these are not just a few more changes. They're a whole different gospel. And, and, and he's, you know, he's on red alert. He's on red alert. Now, um, what these new teachers did is they snuck a little bit of something that's very dangerous, but you heard the term before, and the term is a little bit elusive, so I wanted to actually clarify it, but that little something is called legalism. They snuck in a little bit of legalism, and let me try to define legalism, because legalism, it's, I've, I've heard it, but I've never really heard a good definition. And then I, I discovered one of my favorite authors uh, gave a definition of my, like, oh, okay, I like that, because it's so elusive. It's more than one thing. So here it is. 
Here's the best definition I found of legalism, and I, I think it's going to make legalism a little bit more relevant than just like circumcision. Okay, here it goes. Legalism, according to Galatians I, and David Platt, you know, is a working in your own power according to your own rules to earn God's favor. I don't know if you like that definition. I love it. I'll tell you why. I can't relate to circumcision. But sometimes, you know, I'm doing faith on my own power. Maybe you can relate to me. I can't relate to observing religious holidays and how that is essential. But, yeah, there are times where I play, I do faith on my own rules and my own terms. You ever try to earn God's favor? I think of those three, I'm probably going to focus on that one a little bit more. But these questions are going to keep on coming throughout the text because... The gospel and the purity of the gospel is so important, and Paul wants us to get this right now. Now, I want to, sh- I want to try to explain to you why um, uh, legalism is so dangerous, but I need a volunteer. And uh, I was thinking, since Sam did such a great job um, here uh, reading the text, he, I mean, he even added, um, what do you say at the end? Uh, this is the word of God. I didn't tell him to do that. He did that all on his own. He's a natural. Sam, why don't you get up here? Let's give an applause for Sam. Sam, you went, I don't know if you guys know this, but he is my neighbor. He is my, I've known this man for a long time. It's weird to call him man, actually, to be honest with you. I've known him ever, this is how long I've known him. I've known him at a time when I was taller than him. Okay? And now let me, someone said, wow. Okay, let me, let me say this. It was funny, the other day I was hanging out with Sam, uh, in my driveway, and we're just hanging out, we're talking, and he looks at me, and he goes, it was a pregnant pause, he looks at me, he goes, wow, Pastor Andrew. You're really short. That's what, that's what he said. And I said, Sam, it's not true. You're staying on a patch of grass. And he was. He was. So it was the grass, right? Um, so here is Sam. And I don't know if you know this about Sam, but one of the reasons I got up here, Sam, very competitive. And if you know me, you know I'm competitive too. We both have that sort of competitive streak. Now, the, the way I know that Sam is competitive is like when he was that kid in middle school, I invited him over to my house. We had a few guys over. We're playing chess. He's played it like, like two times before that, and he's trash-talking me. This happened before I destroyed him, but he, he was trash-talking me. He was doing like 20 push-ups as a punishment, you know, and you would think that he would learn his lesson to not trash-talk me. Chess game number two, he trash-talked me again after I crushed him again. That is Sam Yuen. Give him some love. Here we go. You're supposed to applause when I say give him some love. Okay, now here is the competition. Now, in any sort of, uh, sort of activity of uh, like true feats of athleticism, uh, one thing that's very important is um, do you have the athletic skills to eat or drink really fast? That's really important, right? Especially when you're in a big family. And Sam comes from a big family. He's got to compete with the rest of the kids to get the food, right? So I was thinking that's kind of important. And so um, we're going to have a competition on who can drink a cup of water the fastest. Okay? Does that sound good to you guys? Let's do this like the Christian version of another game, you know? This is, this is really good. This is really good. Okay. So here's Sam's cup of water. And here's mine. Okay. There we go. No, Sam's, Sam's a lot bigger than I am. Don't you think that's true? His stomach is bigger, so really, you should have more water. Okay, I think that's fair, don't you? Amen? No one's giving me amen. Okay, let's be fair. I'll give you a little bit more. I'll put a little bit more. Okay, we'll be even. All right, now, we're going to go count to three, and, uh, and then whoever can lick the last drop first is going to be the winner, okay? And I don't know if you want to stretch. I don't know how you stretch for something like this, but are you ready? You ready? You are. Okay. 
Now, I need people to go three, two, one, okay? Uh, okay, you ready? Okay, go. Three. Oh, oh, hold it. Okay, hold, hold it. I forgot one thing. I forgot one thing. Uh, I'm up here. Things are going, moving. I forgot one thing. Okay, hold, hold. One thing, one thing. One thing. Okay, hold. This is a... Where is it? Okay. Okay, hold it. Just one second here. Okay, ready? Can you guys do the three, two, one? Three, two... One. I'm going to beat you, Sam. I'm really going to dream to beat you. What is that? Okay, this morning I dipped that in the bowl of my toilet. I just put one drop in. It was just one drop. Okay, you're not thinking that's fair. Watch. I'll put it in mine too, okay? I'll put it in mine too. There you go. One drop, one drop, or even. Okay, you ready? Go. Can we do a three, two, one? Ready? Go. Three, two, one. Oh! Did you really? I wasn't going to let you do that, actually. Your parents were right there. Your mom would have thrown something, I'm telling you. She would have run down here, knocked the glass out of your hand. Okay, were you really going to drink it? Wow, really? Oh, this man wants to compete. This is, this is a true competitor right here. Okay, now, I don't think you were going to drink that. I wasn't going to drink that. But here's the argument. I just put in one drop. What's one drop? Come on. 99.9 plus is pure bottled water. From, you know, I, I, it's pure. It's just one drop of toilet water. What's wrong with that? Well, that one drop makes the whole thing disgusting and undrinkable. <laughs> Sam, that's a, you can take it with you. Let's call this a, a draw. Is that actually toilet water? It is really toilet water. Okay, you can applaud... <laughs> What, you think I'm going to lie to you? I'm not going to lie to you. This really came from Raina's toilet. No, I'm joking. It came from my toilet, our toilet. We share a toilet. Okay. That's too much information. Raina's really mortified. You can go back to your pew. How many of you guys think Sam was really going to drink it? I think, he, oh my gosh, I think he really was going to drink it. I think he was really going to, Sam, were you really going to drink that? Wow. I hold you in new found disgusting respect just one drop though okay all right uh here's the point here's the point this bottle is grace the toilet water is legalism there are certain things in life that just don't mix you get one drop of legalism in your grace you get jesus plus something else it's not longer grace. It's a different gospel. It's undrinkable. Let me ask you this. Is there a drop of legalism in your faith? Is there? That stuff is dangerous. That stuff can make your whole faith undrinkable. Legalism is dangerous. Paul is freaking out. It's just, Jesus is there. Yeah, you add Jesus plus something else and it's undrinkable. It's dangerous. Get it away. It's toxic. Do you got a drop of legalism in your faith? Do you? I do. I think the Galatians is helping me at least realize it. Like over vacation, having a great time. And then there's this little thought that kind of in my mind. And it goes, Andrew, if you have a really long prayer time, you can be approved by God. Like you, 
you can, be, you can earn God's approval if right now today you set aside your schedule, have a long quiet time, have a long prayer time. He will find you pleasing. Snuck right in. Now, I could have had a long prayer time, but I don't think it would be very joyful. I, I think that little bit of legalism could have ruined that entire time. Now, by all means, you should have a long prayer time. And you should celebrate that you are already approved because of what Jesus did. Not by your performance and what you do, but what Jesus did on that cross for you. You have God's approval. So have that long, quiet time and celebrate your relationship with God. Let it be joyful. A little bit of legalism can really, really ruin that joy. You got a little drop of legalism in your faith? Do you? Maybe, I want to be very careful here. Maybe you kind of feel like, if I was more radical with my faith, you know, like living a little bit more on the edge, you know, giving more money to the poor, more, more involved in social justice, you know, a little bit more like out there with my faith, then I think I could earn God's approval. I think he would maybe love me more, find me more valuable. You know, I, I would just, I could, is that somewhere in your faith? Now, now I want to be uh, careful about this because by all means, if you really know the gospel of grace, it will make you radical. But be radical for the right reasons, not to earn God's approval. God approves of you not based on your performance. It's based on the work of Jesus. That is grace. That's a rescue. That's a dynamite message. It changed the lives of people, and it holds potential to change the lives of us today. Even people who have heard that message a long time, it sustains you in so many ways. I bet you there's a bunch of people here who need to be sustained by that message. You feel tired in life. There's places in life where you just feel you have no power, you have no energy, the year just started, you just feel wiped. You know what you need more than anything? The gospel of God's grace. That's a powerful message. Some of us might be feeling like, you know, if I had this level of commitment or if I loved God more, if I actually, you know, served in this way and and cared for more people more, then I, I just, I kind of feel like I would have God's favor. And people who have God's favor, they just, I think they just tend to suffer less. I'm not going to be like some of the people who are really suffering out there. I think God will have, you realize that's actually steeped in legalism. That's just not true. Look at Paul. He suffered. God loved Paul. Look at Jesus. He suffered. There's no question how much God loved Jesus. Is there a drop of legalism in your faith? I know this is a weird way to end the message, but I want to end it with that question. Is there a drop of legalism in your faith? The, the, the grace of God is too pure, too amazing to take your breath away-ish for us to add a little bit of toilet water. So live in the freedom and the joy of the rescue of Jesus. Let's pray.
Lord, I thank you that your message is irresistible. It's kind of offensive in some ways, but it's true and it's empowering and it's joyful. I pray that in 2017, that you would restore our joy and you would make us ever more radical and passionate and having prayer times with you. But it would be for the right reasons. It would be overwhelmed by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.